Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. On this episode of Teachings by Pastor Al Pittman, we begin a new series in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, verse 1. For the message, come back to the grace place. The epistle to the Galatians is a letter from Paul the Apostle to a number of early Christian communities in Galatia where Paul is principally concerned with the new believers departing from a life of grace into a life of legalism. At some point, many of us need to come back to the grace place. Let's listen to Pastor Al. When we were in Israel, um, we were blessed to be there during their national Memorial Day called um, Remembrance Day. And uh, it was amazing because you're driving down the road and sirens go off all around the land and people stop, traffic stops and people get out of their cars and you stand attention in a moment of silence. Now, not everybody does it, you know, but the people observe those who had sacrificed. And I'm grateful in this country that we still have a day set aside for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedom. Amen. Let us never forget, for a nation of ingratitude is a nation that will soon meet its demise. So, Father, we thank you for those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. We thank you that in this country we still have a day that we have set aside to remember their sacrifice. We pray, Father, today that you would especially remember the families who still mourn over that loss. We ask, Father, that you would remember our country today that their sacrifice would not be in vain. We ask, Lord, that you would heal America, that you would touch our land. Father, we pray today that you would bless your word, and we thank you for your word because it is the guiding light for our nation. It is the guiding light for the church. It is the guiding light for the world. And we pray that your word, Father, as it goes forth today, will accomplish your divine purpose and will, that it will not return to you void. We ask that you would grant to us, Lord, who are many times stiff-necked and hard of hearing, Ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Galatians chapter 1. Now, some of you may be wondering, why are we going to Galatians? Well, I've entitled this message, first and foremost, A Call Back to the Grace Place. And that's one of the reasons that it talks about grace but I was looking at my, in my files, and I have not taught through the book of Galatians since 2006, 2007. That's 13 years. So I think it's time for us to go back and revisit Galatians. But also the second reason is because uh, I believe it's a timely message for the church today. Uh, we live in a time where biblical re, uh, re, revisionism threatens to rob the church of the simplicity that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul warned about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil knows something that God has already told us in, in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. He uh, Paul says, make sure that you renew your mind, be transformed through the renewing of your mind through the word of God, that we may know the acceptable, the good and acceptable will of God. And the devil understands that the battle is for your mind. He doesn't want us to have our minds focused on the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. He wants to corrupt that. Today, we live in a time when 
political correctness, religious orthodoxy, socialism even, and even legalism have in a subliminal way undermined the grace of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean that in many places you find people saying, oh, you have Jesus, but you also have to have this. You also have to stand for this. You also have to speak more about this in order to be truly righteous. And that is always heretical. They teach that we must conform, conform in order to truly be righteous. And uh, this, there's, there seems to be in the church in many cases, especially in this time of, you know, whether, you know, the, the whole argument about, uh, um, you know, political correctness or, or homosexuality in the church and all. There seem to be people who are spending more time uh, being known for what they're divided over rather than what we are really united over. And the Bible calls us to be re, uh, united, rather, in Christ. And yet we find special interests in churches today that somehow seem to, in a subliminal way, undermine the simplicity that is in Christ. The book of Galatians takes us back to the very source of our eternal confidence and justification before God. And I believe this is important for another reason, and that is because as believers, over time, we begin to grow insensitive many times to the Holy Spirit. We begin to focus more on what we can do for God rather than what God has already done for us. And the problem with that is that it can open, up, open us up to a spirit of depression or, or a spiritual oppression within our lives, whereby we begin to think somehow that God's love and God's favor toward me is based upon my performance and not the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad about that? Do not be carried away. Or carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that your heart be established by grace. Is your heart established by grace? Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews. He's writing to Jews, people who understand the law of Moses, people who are bound by a lot of laws and, and, and legal religiosity, legalism. And he's saying, you guys are trying to identify your righteousness by what you, you eat, by the foods you eat and all that. And in the law of Moses, you know, the, uh, uh, in Judaism, there's a law that says that uh, you cannot mix uh, meat with dairy, and, and there's a lot of laws about the, the foods they can eat and can't eat and all of that. And they were beginning to think that their righteousness was in, you know, the foods that they would take. But it's not what a man takes in his body, but what comes out of his body that defiles him. Amen. And so, you know, when we were in Israel, I love going to Israel. I love going to Israel, but I don't go to Israel for the food. Amen. I'm just saying. Amen. Got the brother got to have a pork chop. And baby back ribs every now and then, amen? <laughs> and when you go to Israel, everything's kosher. And we went to this one place we were staying on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, there was in the uh, uh, dining area, there was a, a guy sitting at this desk. And he looked, you know, he had this long beard and all. And I thought he was with ZZ Top, but he wasn't. He was, <laughs> but he had this beard. He was a Hasidic Jew. And his job was to be the kosher inspector. And nothing unkosher could come into that dining area. You don't meet, mix meat with dairy, you know. And uh, so when you get it up in the morning, you have a lot of vegetables and fruit and eggs and boiled eggs and egg omelets, you know. And you have egg eggs, you know. And, uh, you know, yeah, and you have fish. You can have, you know, raw fish. You can have all kind of fish. Mmm, you know. 
And I'm like, hey, you know, where the sausage at with these eggs? You know, there was no sausage, no, but no real butter, you know, whatever. It's, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the way they, they, uh, it is over there. And so he is, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, they, people are saying their righteousness is in their food. Uh, in the church in America, a lot of people, their righteousness is what you wear to church and all this kind of stuff. He says, no, let your heart be established, not in what you wear, what you eat, but by grace. Amen. A heart established by grace is a victorious heart. I didn't say it was a perfect heart because we're all being sanctified. But it's a victorious heart. Why? Because by God's grace, we're able to overcome the lies of the devil. The, lie, the devil is, lies to you every day. He's the father of lies. And he is speaking lies even as I'm preaching to many of you. And telling you you can't and you, you, you never will and all of these things. And negating the grace of God. But a victorious believer is one who believes in the overflowing grace of God. And thus we come to the reason for Paul's great concern for the churches of Galatia. He's concerned for them because they had abandoned the only real source of victory over the evil one, and that is God's grace. And they were, had returned to a legalistic form of religion, the law. They had forgotten that Christ actually fulfilled the law. Do you know that? Matthew chapter uh, 5, verses, verse 17, Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law, and thus he became the standard of righteousness for mankind, the acceptable, the only acceptable standard of righteousness before God. And in doing so, he also became, for those who put their trust in him, a standard of righteousness for us. In other words, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Galatia was a province, a little bit about Galatia, a province which included such ancient cities as Galatian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and a city called, ancient city of Derbe. These cities were located at the southern region of Galatia. The southern region of Galatia today is the modern day southern Turkey. This is the region that Paul is writing his letter to. These churches were established in these ancient cities during Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, it's recorded there, around A.D. 46 to 48. Many believe that he wrote this letter around A.D. 49 to 50. Uh, but it was a church that these churches were primarily made up of, of Gentile believers. And there was a lot of distraction in that area. In that region, you had the Gauls, the pagan practices of the Gauls, and you also had the Roman pagan practices. And so a lot of negative influence and all. But God had established these churches there in the southern region of Galatia. And now they had, after receiving the grace of God, they are now turning away from the very grace of God. So Paul writes this letter to bring them back, to call them back to the grace place. And maybe God is calling you back to the grace place today. I pray that he is. We begin here at verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with him, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stop there. Paul presents his 
God-ordained spiritual credentials as, the, as an apostle. He is actually the father of the churches because he was the one, <coughs> excuse me, he was the one that uh, uh, founded these churches. But he wants to remind him of his credentials, that he's an apostle of God. Uh, not according to a, a calling, rather, that's not from men. Uh, it's not from a seminary degree. It's not through men. That is through some denominational ordination process. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He wants them to know that he's, 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 he is an indebted to God, that he's an apostle of God by, <laughs> excuse me, by the will of God. Amen. And here we find also, as in these, these short three verses, there's some great theology, but we also see also further evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us here that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, there are people who say Jesus was not God, he, he's not deity, he was just a prophet, as the Muslims teach, Islam teaches. No, he was God. And so he says here, God raised him from the dead. But Jesus said, uh, uh, back in uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, he said that he would raise himself from the dead. So is there a contradiction? No, it's just further evidence that the Father and Son are one. Amen. It's not a contradiction. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Paul says here, in some great theology, grace to you and peace. Notice, we cannot have peace apart from grace. You cannot have one without the other. Grace always precedes peace. And that's the problem in the world today. People are looking for peace, but they have not encountered the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we look for peace and we try to put peace together and we try to have peace through our 401ks and retirement and our gated communities. And, and we try to have peace by, you know, appeasing everyone, all this, but it's, it's a peace, it's a pseudo peace. It will never last. True everlasting peace comes through the grace of God. So grace to you and peace. Grace, why? Because Jesus, Paul says, gave himself for us. Great theology here in these few short verses. We have grace and peace because Christ gave himself for us. And notice another thing here is that grace is what really distinguishes the church from the world. God's grace. God gives us grace, not so that we can have license to be like the world, but that we might be different from the world. Amen. That's why he gives us grace. So people think that, well, God's given me grace so I can go out and do, you know, do what I want. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I have my, sort of my fire insurance policy. I'm not going to hell, so I'll just act any way I want to act. That's not true. Because anyone who has received God's grace and has not been transformed has merely received religion. And Paul tells us that religion, a form of religion without, uh, without godliness, that's not, that's not truth at all. A form of religion without power, amen, without power is, is, is heretical. It's not going to do anything for your soul. It's a form of religion without power, and it's a form of religion without salvation. To just say that I, have, I know, you know about the things of Christ or just to be religious without transformation is uh, useless, God grants us his grace to deliver us from this evil age. We live in an evil age. Man, if Paul was calling it an evil age uh, back then, man, what is it today? I don't know. <laughs> wow. But we didn't get better, did we? Mankind has gotten worse because we have new ways uh, of sinning. We have new ways of destroying one another. And we just seem to get worse. But he has given us his grace to deliver us from this evil age. And how does he do that? Paul tells us. He says in the uh, latter part 
here of verse uh, four. He says, according to the will of our God and Father. See, God, you know, the Christianity God has called us to live is not, is not something that we customize for ourselves. God has already set forth his word, you know, his will to us within his word. How we are to live and conduct ourselves in Jesus Christ. And so we are to live according to God's will, not according to what you know, we think, you know, you meet a lot of Christians sometimes, oh, well, I don't really know if I believe that. Well, it's written right here. Well, I've been thinking, I don't care what you've been thinking. <laughs> Amen. And people are so arrogant in ourselves that we think that somehow, oh, my opinion matters above the written, holy, ghost, breathe word of God. Something's wrong with your theology or you may not even be saved. But we overcome this evil age according to his will, and it's for his glory. Wow. That's how we can be overcomers through him. But it's all according to his grace. In verses 6 to 10, Paul kind of gets up into the grill, if you will. And he says in verse 6, I marvel, man, that you guys are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed as we have said before. And Paul said, if you didn't hear me the first time, here it goes again. Now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul said, I marvel. I marvel that you so quickly have abandoned the Lord. You so quickly abandoned the the gospel of Christ, the grace that is in Christ. You know, the the enemy wants to, to, to steal the seed of truth out of people's hearts before it can come to fruition. And I know even sometimes when people come forward and they pray and all, I just, you know, I can't get anybody to heaven. I just pray for people. But I know the devil's waiting for them at their car in the parking lot. Amen. He's smoking a cigarette. He's just kind of, you know, what's taking him so long? We got things to do. You're in the prayer room, you know, whatever. And then you come out and he's like, man, come on, let's go. We got to roll, baby. You know. It's amazing. People come forward and they cry and they come to this altar or whatever. And then they disappear. Where are they gone? So quickly to set aside the grace of God and to go right back to the vomit and the mud of this world. Paul says, I marvel that people quit so soon, give up so soon on the grace of Jesus Christ. And they get out there, and this is the deal, that people get out there and then they feel like, well, I can't come back. And they, they, they've forgotten about God's grace. That God's arms are stretched out still. And that they can come home anytime. That God will receive them. But the devil's convinced them, oh, God's grace isn't that great. I mean, you are a notorious sinner. You might as well just give up, you know, kind of a thing. That's a lie from the enemy. But the church here had exchanged God's grace, his unmerited favor, which is unearned and undeserved, my friend, for garbage. Paul says, for that which is not good news, that which is not gospel, for garbage. You think you're exchanging the grace of God for something better, which is not, it's not good news at all. 
It's not grace at all. Now, it's not that they were going back into a lifestyle of sin, but they had started to place their confidence in religious reform and legalistic religion rather than God's grace. And we see that happening in the church today, where people want you to come into the church and then be a carbon copy of them. And God is not looking for conformity. He wants transformation. Lives that are transformed. We're not all supposed to look alike and look the same and talk the same and all of that. And uh, so, but a lot of people think, <coughs> excuse me, that, you know, if we get everybody to conform, you know, and to walk this way and to keep these rules, we'll be a better place. But that's not true. That's going back to the law. True revival occurs not through conformity. A true revival occurs when there is a fresh awakening to the grace of God. You see, remember when you came to Jesus Christ? Remember how you encountered the grace of God? Remember how you felt? Remember how your eyes, literally scales falling from your eyes, it was, as it were, and your eyes were open. You thought, wow, I can see. I can see what's really going on around me. I can see the stupid things that I was doing. The path that I was on was heading to destruction. I can see how much God loves me. I can see the cross and and how how it blessed you so. And what did you bring to God at the time? Nothing. It was just grace. His unmerited favor. And man, it it awakened you. And it's the same thing that will awaken the church today when we have a fresh awakening through the grace of God in our lives. Andre Crouch used to sing a song, you know, one of my favorite Christian singers from the 1970s and 80s and all, but he used to sing this song called Take Me Back. Take me back, take me back, O Lord, to the place where I first received you. Because over time, we forget the grace of God, and over time, you know, there's times when our conscience is as it's been seared with a hot iron. We're insensitive to the gentle touch of God's Spirit and, and, and we haven't been sensitive to his spirit uh, for a long time. And the reason is because we've forgotten his grace. We've forgotten to cherish his grace. And we began to rely maybe upon ourselves. And over time, life gets hard and our hearts can get hardened. And so we need a fresh awakening in the church today to the loving grace of God. In their midst, Paul says, there were those who, who troubled them they, by establishing another so-called gospel, you know, a new standard of righteousness. That word troubled means to stir or to agitate, literally rolling waters. I thought that's interesting. Those who come along to trouble you or stirring up stuff, rolling, rolling waters and all. Where David said, that's not God. Because David said in Psalm 23 that the Lord leads us beside what? Still waters. Not it's all turmoil and agitation all the time. That's not God. He leads us beside still waters. These agitators were insisting that people would adhere to their spiritual ideology. And some individuals, uh, those, some of these same individuals can be found in, even in the church today. Uh, there are people in the church that feel like, you know, if you align with my spiritual ideology, pastor, I'll come to your church. If you align with, with, with my issue, you know, this thing's my pet issue. If you preach on that more, you know, I'll come to your church. We have to be careful of that because what they're doing is elevating, you know, uh, an issue as a new standard of righteousness. And that, my friend, is dangerous. 
I remember years ago that uh, this couple accosted me in the, the aisle there, and they were kind of upset with me. How come I didn't talk about abortion more and, and all of this? And, uh, you know, there was some legislation there people were trying to pass in, in Denver that, uh, you know, regarding abortion, and we didn't, we didn't have a petition drive and all this, and how come you're not doing that? And, you know, and I, Mr. Al, I got in the flesh, and I want to please everybody. So I capitulated, and I said, okay, you know, I want you to know, I want you to like me. And so we'll set up a table out there, and we'll have people sign up the petition. And we did that. We set the table up, and about got 800 signatures were gathered, and and they, you know, the uh, legislation was uh, presented in Denver, and it was soundly defeated. And those very people left the church, not because it was defeated; they just left the church. I mean, they didn't say pastor thank you or anything. Just they left the church, and God's rebuked me. He said, "You need to stop trying to speak on every issue and try to please everybody." And keep the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus Christ, my son. Amen. Because, you know, people would say, well, pastor, you ought to address the issues. Well, yeah, we do from time to time. But listen, we're going to preach Christ first. And because the reality is that if I preach on every piece of legislation and, you know, you get the emails, oh, sign this petition, that petition, you know, I mean, uh, uh, President Trump's been bugging me all this week, you know, to, to, to sign up for something. I mean, you know, you get stuff all the time, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know, if you preach on every bit, every issue and every piece of legislation, you never preach the Bible, but we're going to preach Christ here. Amen. Paul said, I came among you knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. Amen. <laughs> now, for those who think, well, what about these, you know, righteous standards and all this? Listen, uh, you know, or standing up for the truth and all that. We need to do that. But the mandate of the church must always be Christ, not the issues of the day. And understanding that as we passionately pursue Jesus Christ out of our pursuit of the Lord, the Lord produces by the Holy Spirit righteous acts. We need righteous politicians. We need righteous teachers. We need righteous lawmen. We need righteous legislators. We need righteous people, amen, in our schools and on the job and at Walmart and everywhere. We need to be salt and light in the world, amen. But that issue cannot be a substitute for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it cannot be the, 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 uh, the core or the, the very thing that we fellowship around, you know. So if you're a conservative church, I can fellowship with you. If you're a liberal church, I can't fellowship with you, whatever. You know, whatever the issue is, Jesus Christ ought to be, the, the centrality of Christ ought to be what really is the mandate of the church. And our fellowship comes from that and not over the issues. And so we have within the church many people that can't even get together because, you know, they don't hear what they want to hear. You know, the Bible warns us about people in the last days going around looking for teachers who will scratch their itch. Well, I'm not here to scratch your itch. I'm here to preach Christ and him crucified. Amen. His love is our bond of perfection, period. And it's all according to grace. These troublers wanted the church to have their fellowship around legalism and their own spiritual ideology within the churches of Galatia. But Paul doesn't mix his words here. He charges these troublers with perverting the gospel. The Greek word for pervert is metastrepho, and it means to turn across, to transmute, to change in form, nature, or substance. Transmute, 
Interesting word. They were literally muting the message of the gospel. And that's exactly what the church does when we exalt religious conformity, if you will, above a relationship with God. We're saying, God, you have Jesus Christ, but if God, you really want God to love you, you've got to, you know, do ABC. And that is heresy. That is another gospel. And what we're doing is we are, in effect, modifying God's only acceptable standard of righteousness, and that is the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And thus Paul warns them and says, listen, if we, if I have a breakdown or something, and I show up here preaching another gospel, or an angel that actually came from heaven, came to you preaching any other message than what you have heard, you receive, that is faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of God, let them be accursed. And Paul says it twice. We should be, beware of those who are out there today promoting such things. Even if an angel comes to you, it was an angel that appeared to Joseph Smith. Oh, I know it makes some of you uncomfortable. I'm going to tell the truth. The Latter-day Saints, the Latter-day Revelation. It was, it was another gospel. Mormons are good people, wonderful people. But what they're following is another gospel. If an angel comes to you, even the gospel recently of UFOs, you know. Oh, pastor, I saw a bright light. Yeah, I know. The devil comes as an angel of light. Be careful. I personally believe that, you know, when we're raptured out of this world, that people are going to blame it on UFOs. Hey, they finally got them. <laughs> Amen. But be careful of another gospel. Someone come, oh, it's bright, it's shiny, you know. It always turns my stomach to see these Preachers on TV, you know, renting out these ballrooms with chandeliers and bringing in some of the poorest folks and uneducated people in there and fleecing the flock for thousands of dollars. Their place is in the darkest recesses of hell. And God will judge them for it. It's another gospel they're preaching. We need to be careful today that we only preach Christ and him crucified. Paul says, listen, I'm not trying to please men, verse 10. I'm trying to persuade men. I'm trying to get appeased folks. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a bondservant. The Greek word doulos, literally slave, subjected, a subservient to Jesus Christ, one who gives himself up for another's will. And Jesus said that my meat, my food, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work until his will becomes my food. I'm always going to be a miserable servant of people and my flesh. His will must be our food. That which we live for, are we living to appease men, to appease people, or just to please our flesh, we will be the most miserable people on the planet. But our food, our substance, is in doing his will. And Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, it doesn't mean that we're always 
perfect, but this must be the goal for us as believers to do his will. Because in his will, man, we find true wealth. We find abundant life. We can know whether or not we are acting as bond servants. Because listen, true, <laughs> you know, and 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 in all truthfulness, uh, every day I'm not acting like a bond servant. And when I'm not, I have to repent, because the goal of my life is to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. It's miserable trying to please everybody else. Man, it's me, boy. If that's what you're trying to do, stop it. You'll never please everyone. Jesus didn't come to please everyone. He came to please the Father. But we can know whether or not we are truly acting like bondservants in two ways, two basic ways I want to give you. Number one is when it comes to obedience to Christ. To obey is better than sacrifice. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll obey me. And those times when we find that we haven't been obedient, obedient, you know, God's grace hasn't, you know, God hasn't swept us aside. That's when we need to repent. And recognize that as the Lord, I haven't been obedient. Forgive me. Obedience is better than sacrifice. A bondservant is obedient. The second way in which we can know whether or not we are a slave of Jesus Christ is when people treat you like one. Amen? When folks treat you like a slave, you know, like a servant of, you know, of the Lord. You know, when I go home and I'm tired after three sermons and I'm like, man, you know, boy, God's happy with me. My wife says, take out the trash. I'm like, whoa. I'm servant of God. And the Lord rebukes me and says, what, your, 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 servant, your servitude ends at the church? Oh, you on the clock. Oh, it's, it's a, you know, sort of a conditional servitude. No, we're a slave of Jesus Christ 24-7. Amen. Remember, Jesus set the example for us. On the night he was betrayed, he filled a basin with water and girded himself with a towel, and he washed the feet, the stinky feet. They wore sandals in those days. Do I need to say any more? The stinky feet of the disciples. And not only that, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he made himself, listen, of no reputation. You ever start feeling like, don't you know who I am? Repent. Because God knows who you really are. Amen. <laughs> they don't know. They, you know, you, you got a little badge on that says supervisor. <laughs> God says, that ain't who you are. I know who you really are. And what he has called us to be is bondservants of Jesus Christ to be slaves of Christ, to fill the basin and to wash the feet of others, to make ourselves of no reputation that we might reach the world. Amen. So Paul continues on to further, to further um, magnify the grace of God. He talks about his own calling. So in verse 11, Paul says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, 
how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I'm always struck when I go to Israel and I see the ruins. We walk among the ruins of the Roman Empire and realize that the Roman Empire that tried to destroy Christianity is in ruins and the church of God is thriving. Verse 14, and I advanced in, Judea, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, being more ex- exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then he says, but when it pleased God, that's when everything changes. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, <coughs> excuse me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go you know, tell people, hey, look what happened to me. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to the big dogs in Jerusalem, you know, Peter and the rest of them, to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He's magnifying the very fact of uh, 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 magnifying God's grace here in his own personal testimony of his own personal calling, uh, you know, in the Lord. And I think, man, as I read that, I thought, man, it's really encouraging to me as a pastor, but it's really encouraging to me as a believer, and should be encouraging for all of us that regardless of who we are, Paul was a hater. He hated believers. He was trying to destroy the church. And God called him. God called him. And Paul had nothing to do with it. It's by God's grace. I love the song Amazing Grace. And I love that line in Amazing Grace that says, "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home." You see, we started in grace, continue in grace. Oh, and I'm at a place right now where I, God's calling on me for advice. No, he's not. <laughs> Amen. I'm sorry. I had a woman here the other day. She, anyway, I don't go into all of it. And one of the pastors was telling me, and she was ranting and raving about how God called her to do this thing. And, and uh, you know, and she, you know, we as a church are supposed to support what she wants to do. And it's like, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, but, you know, she's special and she's the voice of God and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just it's so many people around thinking now giving God advice. We see that a lot. No, that's not the way it works. Grace by grace, we will start the journey and we will complete the journey. Paul had nothing to do with it. With all his education and everything else, it was simply God. God's grace, divine providence, according to God's grace, placed Paul in the ministry. And how did he do that? Through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I love that. I look at my own life. I think, well, how, how will I know what God wants me to do? How he, he wants to, me to live and to lead me and all. It's through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then the other things to be added. If you really want to know what your purpose is in life, it's not found in some four-year degree or whatever. It's found through the revelation of Jesus Christ, seeking him passionately. And God will guide your, your heart and your steps. And Paul, through the revelation of Christ, his life was turned around, totally transformed. And so was your life and my life when we came to Jesus Christ. But notice also that God, when God called him, God did not call him after he was proved. Or, I think I could use Paul. He's a pretty faithful guy. 
He called him while he was in his mama's womb. What? And his mother, what, what did you earn in the womb? Nothing, right? He had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was all by grace. And Paul is making this point here, saying, when, I was, when it pleased God in my mother's womb, he called me. When did he call me? In my mother's womb. He had nothing to do with it. And you can do nothing about God's great love for you. God wishes that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But another observation here is that it's no wonder that the devil has declared war on the womb. Not only was Paul called in the womb, so was Jeremiah, the prophet. And those are just two mentioned in scripture that come to my mind, but, but they're Every one of us, God has a purpose for every child in the womb. And I just wonder how many Charles Spurgeons and how many Billy Grahams and how many Martin Luther King Juniors, how many great world leaders our world desperately needs, how many uh, scientists who could have already cured cancer have been aborted because of the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973 by the Supreme Court? How many? How many? Who would be here to make this world a better place? But because of the devil's war, declare war on the womb, we'll never know who those people are. And by the way, baby boomers, we don't even know if we're going to have Social Security when we get to that point. Amen? We want to retire. Because we have aborted an entire tax base. There's not enough young millennials working to support our behinds. Amen? I'm just telling you. (laughs) And you say, well, you know, they'll find a way. Really? We're broke. National debt is rising all the time. And one day that boom is going to pop. But here's my hope. The just shall live by faith. I was trusting God before, and I'm going to trust him to the end. Amen? So we put our trust totally in God. But look at what's happened to our nation and to the world because of the devil's war on the womb. And yet, despite the devil's agenda, God will prevail in the end. How do I know that? Because Isaiah, the Lord said in the book of Isaiah, indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it. Amen. Praise his holy name. Glory to God. In verses 18 to 24, Paul continues to magnify the grace of God. He says, then after three years, he said, I, I you know, met Jesus on the Damascus road and that, that, that bright light and all that, you know, Christ spoke to him. He was born again. He went to Damascus. He was there for a little while. Then he went to Arabia. He went back to Damascus and for three years he stayed there. Then he went down to Jerusalem and he met with Peter and he remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What, what point is he making here that, listen, my transformation is according to the grace of God. I wasn't educated and taught these things by men. The Holy Spirit has revealed these things to me according to God's grace. And then he says in verse 20, now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. I'm telling you the truth. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith 
which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Amen. Praise the Lord. They glorify God in me. Listen, this is a, this is a, looking at the grace of God in, in Paul's life should give every parent out there with a wayward child hope. Do not limit God's grace. And working in the life of that person you think is totally hopeless because you may be looking at the next Billy Graham. That knucklehead? Yeah, that person. Or that girl that's wayward or whatever. You never know how God is going to use somebody's life. So here's Paul. He was a hater and God made him a lover. Transformed him and then called him to preach. And now his reputation is, oh, the one who tried to destroy us now loves us. And God was glorified in me. That's the same thing for our lives and the witness we have to the world today as believers is that God is glorified through us. How is that? Because people knew what you once were and now they see you transformed and they go, wow, I can't believe it. And God is glorified through your life. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to do. How does he do it? Because you're, you've got an education. No, because of his grace. Grace. God's great grace produces glory within our lives. Well, what do we learn here today? We've learned this. There's four things I want to leave you with, and I want to wrap, wrap it all up here. And the first thing is this, is that grace always precedes peace. If you're here today, you do not know Jesus Christ and you've been looking for peace. You thought, oh, there's peace in that building. There's peace in that ministry over there. No, the peace is in Christ. But you cannot know peace until you first know God's grace. And the Bible says it's not by works that we are saved, but it's by grace we are saved. Lest anybody should boast in themselves. You first have to know grace before you can know peace. Everlasting peace. The world cannot give nor take away. The second thing we learn here is that any addition to grace, to God's grace, the work of grace, the cross, the work of Christ, is perversion. Don't be deceived. Well, they told me, you know, I know Jesus, but I need to have this or whatever. I need to, if I really want to get into heaven, you know. That's a perversion of the gospel. The third thing is that grace calls us to be bondservants. People who have encountered the grace of God are bondservants of God. And grace calls us to be bondservants. Lastly, grace, grace glorifies God in us as people see what grace has done for us. Just as it did with Paul the Apostle. Grace glorifies God within us. Here's my exhortation to you today before we leave. And that is let your heart be established by grace. Establish or Confirmed by grace. Because the reality is that by grace, you have a confirmed reservation in heaven. Not according to works, but according to grace. Paul had to learn this. He had to learn to trust in God's grace. He couldn't do it all himself. He had to learn that. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a type A personality person. He was, you know, he had to get it done and he was just aggressive and all of that. And he had to come to a place of humility where he learned to rely upon God's grace. Jesus came to Paul when he was wrestling with some internal problems and struggles in his own life. And he 
thought, man, if I could be free from this, I'll be okay. And then Jesus came to him and said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen? And so it is with you. So I'm struggling with this and God has given, no, his grace is sufficient for you. I didn't say that you need to, you know, just let it go. God's giving you license to live in sin. I didn't say that at all. But God's grace is sufficient to deliver you from whatever you may be struggling with. He's given us his grace. So stop limiting God's grace in your life. Because there's some believers saying, I want to do this, but I can't. Oh, I wish I could, but I can't. Oh, God's given up. on No, he hasn't. He still loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. In fact, here's some homework. Um, tonight you can read this, but uh, if you want to read a, a, a psalm that speaks about the grace of God, read Psalm 31. It's a powerful psalm about God's grace where David said, God has placed me in a broad place. Woo! Aren't you glad he placed you in a broad place? He's speaking about God's grace, what he's talking about. But read that, Psalm 31. Question today is, are you in a grace place? Memorial Day is a day to remember those who pay the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. The cross stands as an eternal memorial for us to remind us that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our everlasting liberation. Are you in a grace place? I pray that you are today. That is Pastor Al Pittman closing out our first session in the book of Galatians. Come back to the grace place has been our topic and we'll move forward in this New Testament book next time. Plan to join then. Before we bail, let me direct you to the homepage archive of teachings by Pastor Al. You can browse through both topical and book studies. The site is cwccs.org. Click in here to find these resources and to support the work of this ministry, that is cwccs.org. This program is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.